Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disasters, emergency management, resilience, polycrises, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for and respond to and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Longtime listeners and longtime viewers, you will know it's that time again. I want to welcome to the show Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, Happy New Year. Yes. How are you, my friend? It's been a long time. We've had a kind of a series of near misses or misses over the last couple of months because we've been both too darn busy. Yeah, and lots has been going on. But this is, yeah. we finally made it. This is our first uh, show of the uh, new year. Yes, even though, indeed. Even though we're three over three weeks into it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was making an appointment for next week and it was like, oh my God, it's the 30th already? How could that be? <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> Time flies, yes, when you're having disasters and crises and things mm-hmm. like that. And we've got lots to uh, touch on today, so why don't we jump straight into it? That's great, and I, I appreciate that because uh, our goal, as we talked about in the pre-con <laughs> today, is that we want to actually see if we can actually go through this entire thing today. Because, you know, we get talking, and next thing you know, we could talk for months on the same topic. And we have it took and us three have, months yes. to finish one deck once. <laughs> yes, I remember that. So um, for listeners who have heard us before, and maybe if people have heard me speak or write before, uh, we're going to start with the concept of polycrisis. And this is really being fueled by a couple things, not only the state of the world, oh my gosh, but also uh, it's the time of the World Economic Forum. And that's the time that the Global Risk Report is issued every year. And I've been a follower of that since it first came out in the early 2000s. And it's been so interesting to see how it has gotten kind of more challenging, more difficult, kind of grimmer in some ways. And we're going to peel that back a little bit. And then we're going to really talk in particular about why 2024 is such a big deal. So are you ready, my friend? I am ready. Woohoo! Put on your seatbelts. Here we go. <laughs> So today we will talk about just revisiting polycrisis. If you remember, we talked, I don't know, was it two or three months in a row about polycrisis in 2023? Yeah, uh, I believe it was, we started February and we ended uh, April, I think. <laughs> Something like that, right? And it's turned out to be even more of a, uh, an important word, if you will, because if you look at the status of the globe, uh, we are in a massive polycrisis in so many regions of the world. I am going to quickly talk about the World Economic Global Risk Report. And for all of our listeners, I would say to you, this is a really important document. You can download it for free. Uh, It's about 120 pages, uh, but I will tell you it's important for you to digest it and also share that with executives because it does have some long range issues to consider, but also is looking at the short term as well. 
I'm going to talk about the big uh, the big news of 2024, and that is that the world is voting this year, and I'll talk more about that. And then I want to talk a little bit about what that means as far as crossing your fingers about democracy in this current state. Um, so here we are with our favorite word, you and I. Uh, polycrisis, I think, is the best word because what it really does is describe this situation that we are living in today, which is really, as the word kind of implies, it's really an interconnectedness. It's an intertwining. It's everything sort of being tangled together where one problem actually ends up worsening another. Uh, and we're seeing that right now in some place that many people probably didn't even know where it was, which is the Red Sea, the Suez Canal, Yemen, and also the Houthis that are actually doing all of this uh, disruption of commercial traffic through the Red Sea. Turns out between 15 and 20% of all the global traffic in the world goes through the Red Sea, and it begins to impact supply chains almost immediately. So that's a great example of a simple problem that turns into a large global problem that you start to worry about what's happening in the Red Sea, even though you may have never thought about it in your entire life. And that's a great example of a polycrisis. So it's these clusters of risks that all begin to bombard and, and really rub against each other, creating a much bigger risk. And that's what we're facing in many places of the world today. And so what I would encourage all of you to do is to actually go to Google um, uh, Alerts and then actually, uh, actually drop in the word polycrisis. And every day, Mama Google is going to send you all the articles about polycrisis and it's a great way for you to kind of get plugged into that and then also share that with your executives as well as the people that you work with. And it really not only will educate you, but really shows that you are ahead of the game and paying attention to all of these things that have a huge impact. And that's what part of the value that we give as business continuity, resilience, disaster Amen. people. You know, that's that's a part of it. Absolutely. Because a lot of people do not necessarily think about these things. Now, that's starting to change, I have to say. But still, I don't know how long that's going to last, that executives are all, oh, my gosh, I'm so jazzed about resilience. <laughs> but right now, it's a very popular word. But, you know, I, I, after 40 years of practice, I've seen those words sort of come and go and the interest come and go as well. So I think it's our job to continue to educate our executives, the people that we work with, provide value every day. And one of the ways is to show how this polycrisis issue is impacting every single organization around the world. So um, this gets to the Global Risk Network. So the World Economic Forum actually created this concept of the Global Risk Network. I think it was actually in 2024. And what it is essentially is it's a survey that's done in the late fall, early winter, it's issued usually at the beginning part of January, usually around January 10th or so. And what they do is they look at five areas and they look at it over a 10-year period of time. They give some short-term assessments in the two-year slot, and then they look at the actual 10-year period and they begin to give you an idea about what it looks like in the future. So they're playing a little bit of crystal ball. And they look at five areas always. And it's nice because you can go back and you can look at what they thought about five years ago, 10 years ago, and you can kind of see how it's evolved and changed over time. So they always look at economics. They always look at geopolitical issues. They look at the environment. They look at the overall impact to society. And then they look at technology. Now, the 2023 uh, report was, I, I will say, one of the most 
the most pessimistic report I'd ever seen them issue since 20, 2004. But that was before 2024 came out because 2024 continued the exact same sentiment. So they are increasingly, I would use the word anxious, that's not probably the word they would use, but increasingly anxious about the conditions of the world in the short term and in the long term. And we're going to peel back these things and then we're just going to talk back and forth. So I wanted to show you what they do in this particular report, which they have it divided in some really easy to, to grapple with concepts. And the first time is the first one is a short and long-term uh, global uh, uh, outlook. And if you stop and look at this for a moment, what you'll see is they're essentially looking at five areas. They're saying things are really stormy, which means they uh, could be pretty catastrophic events coming fairly soon. Things are pretty turbulent in their mind, which is kind of big upheavals and changes and what's going on in the globe, things that are unsettled, things that are stable. You'll see on the, on the little chart here, there's not many of those, and things that are calm. There's a lot less of those. So if you look from left to right, the top uh, is the two-year forecast, and the bottom is the 10-year forecast. And you can see straight away that, you know, generally speaking, if to me, I look at the first three colors, the stormy, turbulent, unsettled as the things that immediately draw my attention. <clears throat> Certainly the ones that are stormy and turbulent for sure, but really even the unsettled because it doesn't take long for an unsettled issue to become a major issue. And you could look at the war in Israel right now and, and look at it in that light because it had been unsettled for very long in Gaza and over the span of you know uh, 24 hours, it turned into a, a significant war in the Middle East. So as you can see, as you look from left to right, Short term, there are a lot, 3% of the people are really concerned about global catastrophic events. And I contrast that to the more scary part in my mind, which is in the long term, 17% of the people are saying that things are very risky and a global crisis, a global catastrophe is high. And what, then as you, what, as what's, you, what's amazing, right? what's amazing there is that they don't see anything any improvement yeah they don't see improvement from for eight years they see right anything worse right i mean that's the part that i find <clears throat> and this one is humbling it's not only that it's not so great now we all know it's pretty bad but that it's going to get a lot worse and if you look at the very rust color at 17 percent in the long term and you couple that with the 48 percent next to it you're thinking to yourself like holy crap yeah. That's that's a lot of pessimism for a lot of different reasons, and we'll talk about those. Uh, and so this, to me, was a little unsettling. But I wanted to show you and sort of compare this. And so your listeners can either screenshot this or, and I'll, and I'll give a summary in just a moment, but I wanted to compare 2024, a lot of pessimism, a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst for the long term. And then contrast to how we felt last year. Last year, I thought we were the worst shape we'd ever been. And technically, we were as far as the study had gone. But you can see that it was 13% being uh, pe really pessimistic, but only 20% in 10 years. And go back and look at that. Now it's 17%. Mm. And so same thing, was, they were, we were kind of more optimistic uh, was 69%, but then 34% in 10 years, and look at it again going back, 
it's 46% in 10 years. So we are continuing to slide in our optimism about what's going to happen. And that is, uh, frankly, discouraging to me. So let me ask you this from your perspective and, and your clients and people that you talk to, does this sort of resonate with what you personally might feel or people around you might be feeling that people are kind of pessimistic in a longer term way? I think it, it, the easy answer is yes. Uh, I know some people who are always bubbly. Um, they don't see everything as bunnies and rainbows anymore. Uh, people I talk to, neighbors, even when I'm walking the dogs, all these topics come forward, uh, yeah. things that we never used to talk about before. And nobody has anything good to say. you know. And one person, even today, when I was in the dog park, uh, said that you know things are going to get worse before it ever gets better. Right. So right. It, I, I think it's true. You know, there is a really large percentage of pessimism floating around, and those that were always optimistic, you know, the bubbly person in the room that, no matter what, <laughs> was always smiling and laughing, even they're now starting to uh, change their opinions and feelings. Right. Right. It is it is quite remarkable. I'm a super optimistic person and I have to sometimes the only way I can remain in an optimistic state. And we were talking about this earlier is just do a news fast. I follow the headlines. I follow enough for my for my brain and my client information and the work that I do. But sometimes I cannot dig into those things to save my life because I just want to crawl into a deep hole. And yeah. so do you ever feel that way? Yes. Oh, yeah. I used to have the news. Uh, playing throughout the day as I'm working, sitting in the office, because I can see and hear the TV, mm -hmm. the way my desk faces in the office. But now it's, I'll have a quick update in the morning and turn it off. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. Because by the end of the day, I feel drained. Yeah. That's a great thing to say. That's a great example of that. I feel drained because it feels like it sucks the air and the blood out of you, at least to me. Yeah. And then I'm just really tired. It's like, so... So this is really reflected in all of these global leaders, global risk managers, corporate executives that actually respond to this annual survey are feeling just like we are. Yeah. So in that summary, here's where you see it, that in 2023, you'll see that it was 96% pessimistic in the short term and only 90% in the long term, 90, 84% and for 2024 in the short term, 92% in the long term. But the thing that I found that was most concerning is there's no optimism. If you look at the bottom, in 2023, optimism was essentially 2% for short-term and 9% for long-term. In 2024, it's only 1% in two years and 1% in 10 years optimistic of changing. That, my friend, is a bit humbling. Yeah, and I bet you that number's been rounded up. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me not at all. So I think this is a really good way of sort of looking at uh, at where we are. I'm going to talk through a few more slides. And I know that we uh, actually, do you want to stop now? Uh, let's take a break now. Sounds and then good. We'll, we'll start on the, the next slides afterwards. Great. Sounds good. We're, we're talking with Regina Phelps today. And we're talking about polycrises and lots more other things that are coming.
A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insights from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, and get hired into the career you want and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about polycrisis and a lot of other risks uh, from the, uh, what was it? I forgot the The World Economic Forum Global Risk Report. That's right. what a nice quick. It's a lot of words. It's yeah, a lot what of a words. nice quick. I was going to say risk report, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, long. it's more than that. So, lots of good information there in the first one, and uh, a humbling information in the first segment. I have to say, and um, wish I could say it gets better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some days we just can have joke, tell jokes for an hour, and that will be it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one day. One day. So what I want to do is I wanted to peel a little bit into their report. Again, I'm really encouraging all of you to download this because it's such an important document. Uh, But what they do as part of this is they give you kind of several dashboards to look at. And these are really helpful, again, if you're trying to wrap your brain around these crises. And the first one they give is one that's called the current risk landscape, which is kind of the dashboard about where they see things right now. And remember, we're talking about now in January of 2024. And so um, these are the top five issues. And again, if you look at the uh, area of the slide, if you're if you're um, watching this on YouTube, but if you're actually listening to it, there again goes they go back and color code these in the five areas that the report always covers: economic, environmental, geopolitical, societal, and technology. And the number one winner of the current landscape threats were extreme weather. And certainly you saw a lot of that around the world with floods and typhoons and hurricanes and avalanches and all kinds of things really having a significant issue driven primarily by climate change. Now, we in the United States, well, I've been really hammered by that. You as well. I mean, if you want to put wildfires under extreme weather, you guys in Canada, huge wildfires. We had quite a few this year as well, but also issues of drought contrasted by flooding, et cetera. So extreme weather is a big issue. And that took 60%, 66% of the respondents felt that extreme weather in the current moment was the most significant issue. The second thing I thought was really interesting 
And it was all about misinformation and really more importantly, disinformation generated by AI, looking at the aspect primarily of uh, deep fakes and well-crafted emails. And we were talking about that earlier, how you can already see AI is really improving spam to make you more comfortable on clicking where probably you shouldn't because they're getting better at creating those more reasonable, uh, reliable, and looks like your friend or your business uh, yeah. sending you an email. Yeah, the grammar and the uh, spelling mistakes are all gone. Right, right. You know, and it reads better. And the only way you're going to catch it is you're going to have to know some other other things like looking at the URL. You know, right, the, exactly right. And where it's coming from. You know, right. The, while the email itself or may just read perfectly. But right. <laughs> still, you know, you got to be careful. Absolutely. I mean, you know, no, no clicking <laughs> until yeah. you're absolutely positively sure. I will call friends and say, did you send me an email? It looked like it was from you, but I wasn't sure. And I don't click on anything. <laughs> I've done that. I even did it with my bank once. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure. I went, and it, it, is this real? And my financial advisor said, yes, yeah, it's real. I went, okay. You might want to pass this up to your. Yeah. You might want to improve this, right? that, you know, it's, it's looking a little off. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's good feedback. Good feedback. So number two, all about AI. And really, I want to say really about disinformation. And of course, we certainly saw that in, uh, we've been seeing that growing in elections over the last four or five years, really six years, uh, certainly in the United States, a big push with Russia uh, with the 2016 election. And I can't only imagine what 2024 is going to be in the United States with misinformation, disinformation. The third one on my list, in some ways, I feel I feel like in the United States that this could be number one, and that is societal or political polarization, where you have nations and peoples that are divided by either societal characteristics and or issues, and certainly politics. And I think that's heavily fueled by the fact that we all now have the opportunity to kind of drill into our own personal echo chambers where you find the news that you like that that either appeals to you or follows your particular politics that you enjoy. And you can just drill a big hole into that. And next thing you know, you never really hear or see anything else and you never see the other side. And so people are very selective about what they listen to and respond to. And that I think encourages even more uh, polarization because we are so much in the lane that we like and we don't really hear anybody else talking. And that's a huge problem. Is that the same in Canada? It's really bad here in the U.S. It it's getting there, yes, because we have a uh, we may have an election later this year, even though it's it's supposed to be next year. We have a minority government, so it could be this year. And right. because we're so influenced by what happens in the U.S., no, sorry, yeah, <laughs> that that disinformation and that political, uh, well, everything becoming political. Put it yep. that way. It doesn't matter what it is, it's yep. becoming political. So it's finding its way up here. And you are seeing it in headlines. I, I saw a headline the other day that said Prime Minister Trudeau XYZ, you know, which was all positive. The same headline with a different paper was ABC completely negative, but the story was all about the same thing. So like, <laughs> this is this is That's interesting, right? So if you were yeah. a headline reader yeah. only. 
and, and, and you wanted to think negatively about Trudeau, you could read that headline and it would reinforce your belief, exactly. even though the article yeah. was the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. The fourth one is the cost of living crisis. Now, even though here in the United States, and I believe in Canada, the inflation numbers have gone down, it's still, uh, and you know, the stock markets in the United States have gone up. And generally speaking, economically, the data is that we're doing better. However, when people go to the grocery store, the costs of buying things have not dropped back to their pre-pandemic levels. So people are still feeling really pinched, even though technically, economically, uh, the country, like United States, I believe Canada as well, is actually doing pretty well. There are still some countries that are having still severe inflation, like Argentina at 150%. Mm. But for the most part, most most developed, quote, developed nations uh, are having a better time of that, but still prices have not gone back to what we remember you paid for a loaf of bread in 2020, the beginning. And I think that really is upsetting to a lot of people, of course. And yeah. Right. And I then last one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know some people have become much better cooks because they're right. now buying bulk things and making their own bread and doing some of their own, uh, you know, cooking like that along those lines, baking and things like that. Which actually, in some ways, might be better for them, right, than buying something that's because gosh knows what's in anything that you buy anymore, right? It's made. So you could argue that it might be better that you're doing that, but yeah. it never makes you feel good when you spend more for something. And I think the thing about groceries is you buy them every week or you buy them a couple times a week. It's not like a big expense where you only do it once a year or maybe you go out to dinner a couple times a month. But when you go every, you know, like two or three days a week or uh, once a week at least, you notice it every single week. And so it's in your face in a very different way than yeah. those other expenses. The last one is cyber attacks. And that's another thing I thought was kind of surprising, which really speaks to the issues that are really above it. But cyber attacks, which you and I have talked about many times, are a huge, huge issue. And they're only becoming more sophisticated. Uh, employees uh, are still clicking on those things that they shouldn't be clicking on. Um, uh, the people that are actually uh, sending malware out and are and are actually engaging in these illicit activities are often both illicit gangs, uh, nefarious criminals, but also nation states. And many of them are buying off-the-shelf ransomware, off-the-shelf malware. And you don't even have to be good at it because you can buy it on the dark web. And there is a software as a service module you can buy and they have a help desk and they can help you deploy it. So you don't even have to be good at this anymore. So Increasingly, it's a huge issue for many of my clients, and that's not going to go away. And with AI, they can just create more malware at a faster rate. Uh, and so we're going to be stuck with that for a long time. So I'm su I'm surprised. I guess not everything could be number one. But to me, I'm surprised cyber attacks aren't closer to one out of the out of the current risk landscape and the views of the recipients. So um Here's sort of a look at these things when you look at them in the ranking in a short and long term. And this is where they kind of begin to, to pull things apart. And I just want to start at the 10-year one because you can see green is the color of the environmental issues. And as you can see, the forecast for 10 years from now, if you look at this, that you'll see that literally five of the things are all about environmental issues. Extreme weather, climactic changes, biodiversity loss natural resource shortages, and pollution. Those are the five things out of the 10 that are listed that are all environmental. 
And then there, of course, is the misinformation, disinformation, uh, and cybersecurity. And then they also talk about involuntary migration. And then they also talk about societal polarization, but it's lower. If you look at two years, instead of two years, I wanted to contrast it because it's really quite different when they look at what's 10 years from now versus now. The number one risk overall when they put them all into a hopper and rank them in order is misinformation and disinformation, followed by climactic weather issues, followed by societal polarization. Then cybersecurity, armed conflict, interstate armed conflict. So again, both people actually committing robberies, uh, moving uh, illicit goods, a variety of things like that, which I think is very interesting and really speaks to the times, I think. Lack of economic opportunity, which of course is my, causes migration. Inflation, involuntary migration, economic downturns, and pollution. <laughs> to me, I think this is a very interesting look because it's quite different. It's really different. Uh, 10 mm -hmm. years out, over half of it is all about the environment and about the climactic issues. Right now, it's more what's happening societally in many ways. Thoughts on that? I, I just, I, I think some of the, the reason why there's a, a big difference is what's happening right now is influencing the, you know, the two, two year outlook, the potential right. war, well, not potential wars, the, the wars with the potential for other wars right. occurring. And we are experiencing El Nino right now. Uh, right. So we're having severe weather, weather right. uh, at times, you know, no snow at Christmas and, and New Year's, even up here in Canada, which was really odd. Amazing. Um, and it's my area anyway. And that that's a first. And I think that is what is on people's mind, what's here and now. Yep. But knowing that that has a longer term impact than influences what their responses were for 10 years down the road. Of course. So, you know, and, and the elections uh, are going on and all the different things that are being said through the media and what's playing out yep. in courtrooms yep. and in the media and what's being said about people and different kinds of people. I think that's why there's a lot more societal and uh, geopolitical responses and then because you don't know what where that's going to lead you do know the uh, people do know that climate change is a lot longer thing to address and right. uh right. You'll fix and a long it. a long time issue to fix too it's not mm. like you could fix it quickly right yeah so i think that's why there's a big uh, difference in responses between the 2 year versus the mm -hmm. 10 year outlook mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally agree yeah i i find it fascinating uh, and then I just want to just talk about a couple more. I want, my goal is that we could finish this particular section, and then we'll talk about the voting issue at the end. Um, so this this particular chart really shows how all of, so many of these risks are actually interconnected. So how the you know, for example, if you look at societal polarization, how it begins to really push into things like lack of economic opportunity, things like unemployment, uh, also issues about um, involuntary migration. There are a lot of different things that begin to sort of touch each other. And then under the blue uh, bubble, which is the economic, how you can have this issues related to, you know, kind of the, the burst of the uh, economic bubble, how the connection to inflation and increasing debt ratio in a bunch of countries like China in particular, which is kind of unnerving for a lot of 
uh, economists when they look at what's going to happen in the future with their really burgeoning uh, debt. Um, and that how that connects to things like building infrastructure. And so all of these things begin to sort of plot out for you how this poly crisis all begins to connect to each other as we look at the five things that they look at. So this is one that really takes a bit of time to study. So I would encourage folks, that, especially on YouTube, to really stop and begin to sort of see all of these different connection points so that you can actually begin to peel it back. And you'll begin to see how it's not one thing Hardly anything stands alone anymore. Everything is going to be rubbing up in some way against something else. And and that puts us kind of in the middle in the kind of work that we do. And this particular slide actually is not um, not from a global risk report, but it's actually, I don't know, do you ever get the visualcapitalist.com? Do you ever look at their website? Never, never looked at it, no. It's really good. I would encourage you and your listeners to go. What they do is they pick I don't know, three or four topics every month, every week, actually. And they'll kind of dig into them and make great visuals. So you take a complex problem and they kind of boil the ocean for you. And then they put it into some visuals that make it much more easy to both understand and also to utilize as a tool. And so this is the, the, the boiled version of the global risk report. And what you'll see is it does have the, the listing at the very top, starting with extreme weather. It, it tells you what category it falls into, and then it shows the overall cascading percentages dropping from high to low. So this, for example, if you were trying to share this with an executive who is not going to really dig into all of this stuff like you and I might, it gives them the opportunity to kind of see that quick snapshot of how the World Economic Forum Global Risk Report re looks at risk for 2024. So I find this one to be actually pretty helpful. I think on that note, we'll take a, a break before we start something, uh, the next topic. Uh, we are talking with Regina Phelps today about polycrisis, and we are also talking about the findings from the 2024 World Economic Forum Risk Report. There, got, got it out. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, lots of uh, interesting information in the first two segments. Now we're going to kind of change gears a little bit, but it's still relevant to us and something we still need to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one I think is really fascinating and it really ties to, if you remember the second most uh, important risk on the global risk report was disinformation and misinformation. And that really ties to what 2024 is. And I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, but uh, at the end of last year, there were quite a few publications that began to talk about how unusual 2024 is going to be because literally the world is voting. It's the biggest election year ever in the history of the globe of the number of people that are actually going to be eligible to vote in some place around the world. And so why that's important is, of course, that has a huge impact on everybody's individual lives in the countries that they live in, but also has a huge impact from a business perspective because we have a supply chain that's globally intertwined. And so what happens in one country has a huge impact on another. Uh, There's all of these issues related to disinformation and misinformation and the use of AI and how this is going to be a huge issue globally in an election. Some individuals might be consuming media that are not as sophisticated as others, and they might be passing along things that are obviously even a fake, but they pass it along anyway. So the ability to influence politics and information to destabilize countries or regions is really, really high. And so again, does this have to do with business continuity and resiliency and crisis management? And I will say to you in my world, yes, it does. We have done so many exercises on the uh, issues about a Taiwan embargo or what happens if China invades Taiwan or what about how to de-risk China or how to deal with what's going on with the uh, Israeli-Hamas war. I would have never thought in my 40 years of practice, I would have spent so much time focused on these huge global, what seem to be kind of regional issues, but they are hugely important and could have a gigantic impact on the world. And this really starts with how people vote. And of course, we have a big election here in the United States in 2024. So I want to go through what was a study that was done in The Economist. And I would highly, and you'll see the references to it. Uh, It was a November issue of The Economist. I think you can actually, if you register at The Economist, you can get one article or two without having to go get to their paywall. This is a really great study to read. I would encourage all of you to take a look at it. So 2024 has been talked about not just by The Economist, but by every publication that I read, like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and the Washington Post and Reuters and Bloomberg and blah, 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 as the year of the election globally. And there's never been as many people voting. So there are 64, at least 64 countries, plus the European Union, that are all going to the polls this year. That's huge. It's 49% of the world are going to vote this year. 
So that has, and as you were just mentioning earlier, Canada could call an election, right? Even though you're supposed to have an election in 2025. So you might be jumping into this boat with the rest of us. And whenever you have elections, of course, there's always instability. Certainly here in the United States, people are on pins and needles. One other thing I've been planning for with many of my clients is what happens if you have uh, insurrections? What happens if you have uh, major disruptions of politics and you have huge issues related to not a not a major civil war but more localized sort of events uh, the assassination of judges the assassination of political characters uh what that would mean and um and i never i ever thought i'd be doing that Uh, but we're spending a lot of time thinking about that stuff and Mm -hmm. so the election issue is a big deal uh for our work or do people talk about that is it just this weird United States people that talk about this stuff. Are you talking about this kind of thing in Canada? Uh, I think people are just, uh, you know, we want to change. That's really the biggest thing. Uh, Most people are saying we want to change somebody different or because uh, in Canada, it, I know you can have two terms in the U S and that's what, eight years, right? Eight years in Canada after about the fifth, sixth year, no matter what, no matter who's in power, people want to change. People are tired. Yeah, and we've gone through the pandemic now with the same leader. Right. We've come out of that with the same leader. So regardless, anybody would you know, just change the leader now. We want right. something different. Right. And I think that's where, where people are here. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think when you and I talked about the impacts of the pandemic last year on numerous occasions, one of the things is it really political disruptions because the pandemic is very disruptive to, to everybody that was, of course, living in it. And... Uh, you always blame your leaders, and it's, it's very hard for leaders to survive a pandemic because of the feelings that people have at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And they blame a leader, even though the leader generally can't necessarily do a lot to to improve it or make it better in the short term. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm not surprised about that. So this is where the Economist article comes into play. And you'll see in the top left-hand corner, it's the name of the article. It's the date of the publication, which is November 13th. This was developed by what's called the Economist Intellectual Unit. There's some great visuals in here, which I think would be helpful for all of our listeners to, if you have the opportunity to see this on YouTube, you may appreciate that. What you'll see is there's a bunch of bubbles here on the page. And everything that you see, these are all the countries that are voting uh, in 2024, Canada's not there yet, but it might come and join the party with all of us. Mm-hmm. It's over 4 billion people that are going to be voting this year around the world. And so, again, think of all that disinformation, misinformation. Oh, my God. So there's a lot of opportunity for things to go awry. And these are some really big countries. India, now the largest country in the world. They actually surpass China, the United States, Brazil, Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Russia. Of course, that's not very democratic, but they're having an election anyway. Uh, and then a bunch of other countries. And I'll, I want to peel this back a little bit more, but this just gives you an idea. The other big bubble, by the way, if you're looking at this on YouTube, that's to the uh, left, that's gray, is China, the other big bubble, which used to be bigger than India, but India actually surpassed it um, last year. Mm-hmm. So... As we know, just because we're having an election doesn't mean that it's free and fair, right? I mean, people have elections all the time. Look at the Russia. I mean, there could be five people running against Putin. It won't make any difference. It's a show. Uh, and what they've done is they've called out in this particular slide some of the places where it's very likely it really doesn't matter. We know who's going to win. And the big ones they call out is Russia. We, of course, would assume that with Putin, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Mexico, 
and Turkey. It's amazing to me that Turkey's in the EU. That's the part I've never quite figured out because Erdogan is such a a dictator and is closely aligned with Putin. But um, yeah, he's in the EU, which is probably too bad. But there are, again, these countries that it doesn't really matter. You know who's going to win um, simply because of the nature of the organization. Um, now, there's a, as I mentioned, who actually did all the deep dive in this is what the, uh, the economic economist says is their sister organization, which is the Economic uh, International, uh, um, excuse me, Intelligence Unit, Economic in, in Intelligence Unit. And they basically have graded democracies. And one of the things that if you're in the United States and you're looking at this, I want you to look at the colors of this particular slide. Because what you'll see is that the United States actually used to be a dark red color. I bet Canada is in that dark red color. Uh, on the far sure. left-hand side, or left, far right-hand side of the slide. The United States used to be that color. But our democracy has really began to unravel starting in 2016. Uh, with a lot of things that began to shift and change. When that began to occur, the United States was no longer graded by other organizations as a full-fledged democracy. It's still a democracy, but now it has flaws, recognized flaws. India is in that same category, Brazil, and a variety of other smaller countries. <clears throat> and then what you'll see when you look at the slide is it does grade it between authoritarian as either black or very gray, or very gray Really, a tomatoey orange, orangey red, which means fully democratic, and then it goes into a kind of a hybrid in the middle. So you'll see, like Turkey and Pakistan is kind of somebody that's in the middle. Now, why this is important for you to understand, just generally speaking, is that many of us in the world of resiliency, crisis management, supply chains, buy things from all these countries, and whatever happens politically could impact us in those industries that we're closely affiliated with, like Brazil, like Mexico. Those in particular, when I look at, those are places that people buy a lot of things from. And there's a lot of those smaller dots are also big suppliers. So you should be very aware as a resiliency professional, where the countries are that you have this exposure. There's an election, are they having an election this year? Could that what could that mean to the supply chain? Could there be disruptions? Could they stop transit? Could they actually limit what's shipped out of a factory? All those things are going to be your concern this year. And it's going to have to be about politics. And you're not going to be thinking like, wow, really? Yes. It has to do with what we do for a living. Uh, the most democratic nation still is Britain, interestingly enough, when they actually uh, have actually done the, the research of the characteristics of a democracy, they still win the, the, the prize as the darkest red of all of them. <laughs> Russia is the worst. <laughs> Not a big surprise, of course. Uh, really sad um, for, you know, for Russians and, and the impacts that that country has on all the people around them. And certainly what we've seen in uh, Ukraine has just been completely tragic. Um, for countries like the United States and India, which is considered a democracy with flaws, very big elections this year, they're hoping, and the economists as they evaluated the elections, they're hoping they're going to be free and fair. Uh, 
fingers crossed. Uh, but because there is less participation generally, people don't go out to vote in large numbers in the United States as they do in many other countries. Uh, and there's governance related issues. We have some weaknesses just like India does as well. And then places like um, Brazil and Turkey are not having national elections, but they're having tons of uh, regional elections, municipal elections. And so those could have a big impact like in Istanbul or in the national capital or places like Rio or Sao Paulo in Brazil. So those could have an impact if you have work in those particular areas. And so that's an, and another thing to keep in the back of your mind as well. And then the EU is voting. So that throw that into the hopper and there's that many more organizations or countries within the, um, um, our electorate here, they're gonna be voting this year as they establish their new parliament for the EU. So a lot happening. Um, more people are going to vote in 2024 than in any previous year ever in the world. That's really quite remarkable. And so this doesn't mean that there's an explosion of democracy, <laughs> but it means a lot of people are voting. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important thing. I mean, fingers crossed uh, is not the way to look at this, but hopefully we're going to see at least some fair elections and well-supervised and appropriate in as many places as possible. But you can see from the map that's in front of you, the dark gray areas and all the yellow areas are, are, are less democratic. And even as you go to the right of that, the more orangey ones versus the dark red, are still democracies with flaws. I want to talk just briefly about the first election of consequence that happened already this year, and that's Taiwan. Taiwan, of course, I, I follow closely because I've been doing a ton of work related to Taiwan for the last two years, three years actually, based on uh, China and the saber rattling that they've had for the last three years. On January 13th, um, Lei Xingping, was actually elected president. He was the vice president for the previous uh, administration from the DPP. This is a progressive party and they are uh, very interested in keeping their distance from China. Uh, so how to deal with China, not to become uh, usurped by China was a huge part of their election and they won. Now, they did not win the parliament. It's going to have to be a shared government on the parliament, but they went, won with very strong results, the presidency. But China has already thrown down the, the gauntlet saying anybody that congratulates them publicly will be rebuked because they do not uh, acknowledge or uh, agree with this election because this election does not support China in any way. I want to remind all of our listeners where... A large number of chips in the world are made. Let me just go back here for a second. Whoops. 60% of all the chips in the world are made in Taiwan, and 90% of all of the high-end chips are made in Taiwan. You may not care much about a little piece of dirt that's off the coast of, of China, but I'll tell you, if China invades Taiwan, we're going to care, and the world will grind mm -hmm. to a halt. We've got one minute left. Yeah, so it takes more than having fingers crossed to get through this election. And what I'm asking all of you, wherever you happen to be in the universe, we all have the opportunity to save democracy wherever you live. Vote, 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 vote. Let your voice be heard through nonviolent protest. I want to emphasize nonviolent. 
connect with others and get involved in local races. Show support for your election officials. People in the United States are being terrorized. There are people that work in polls. That's insane. Get information from credible sources. Don't read Facebook. My God. Pick up a newspaper. You know, find a legitimate source of information. And lastly, I ask that people respect others. Um, We all are in this together. Sometimes I think people forget that. We're all in this together. But we really need to be aware of that as we go forward. So on that note, did I actually make it in time? We did. Yes. We've come to the end of the show. Regina, thank you so much. There's a lot for people to uh, really consider here, and I hope they do. Um, And all the elections that you pointed out, that is going to have an impact on what we do because the ramifications or the repercussions and the outcomes of these elections could impact where we are. And it doesn't matter if it's on the other side of the world. COVID started on the other side of the world. Look what happened. So, So thank you very much. You're really welcome. appreciate sharing your time again and everyone watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.